Hi there. My name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. Um, So I don't want to say too much about Christian Direction because you can find out so much on your own time if you just go to our website. So I'm going to walk you through this. You have a mobile phone? Get your mobile phone out real quick. Open your browser up. I'll give you the website. So I'm going to do it simultaneously with you. All right, get your browser out. Super easy. Type in the, when you're looking for the website, type direction.ca. The word direction.ca. All right, and the first person that accesses it gets a free car. Who's got it? Back there. There we go. Ah, you got beat. Sorry. Yep, and to claim that prize, you can talk with Preston Puto. There you go. So you'll see, you'll see on our website uh, a number of things. If you scroll down a little bit, just click on who we are. And from who we are, you'll see um, a little bit about our work. Basically, what we do is we work to nurture the mission of God in our communities, our city, and our province. We know that God's already at work all around us in Quebec and in Montreal. And we work specifically through three things. I tell people that what we do is we help Christians put their faith into action, just like that. Uh, we, we want Christians and churches to put their faith into action, and we do that through three primary activities. We connect leaders together. Sometimes that's even non-religious leaders with like, like uh, city leaders, with Christian leaders. Sometimes it's Christian leaders from different traditions, but we link them together. The second thing we do is we train practitioners of God's mission. It doesn't have to be a pastor or a missionary. We train people to do the work of God, the work of, of healing and help and providing hope for people in concrete ways. And the third thing that we do is we develop initiatives. So if you look through our, um, our website, you'll see all kinds of things from food security programs to after-school programs to urban gardening programs to summer work programs and kids camps. And what we, what we really strive to do is we want to help Christians and churches put their faith into action. So this is a great church to be talking about the mission of God with because you also are a church uh, that has a good testimony and a good track record for putting faith into action. By the way, you can also find uh, giving information. So if anybody's interested in giving, our organization is a nonprofit and we depend on uh, a mix of churches, Christians who give to us, and also uh, about 60% of our revenues right now are made up from public funding. So we're able to, to, to procure grants from cities, the province, and the federal government, putting Christians into work in their communities. And the basic way we do that, we go to the city and we say, what do you need? What are your needs? And we don't, tell, we don't ask the city to help us with our needs as Christians. We go to them and say, what are the, the food security needs? What are the youth needs? What are the violence needs in the community? And how can we get involved in that? So if you want to know more, Read, like, take a look, uh, spend your Sunday afternoon uh, after you wake up from your nap, take a look through our website. You can find all kinds of good things. All right. This week I did a long run. Do we have any runners? Anybody likes to run? 
You know, my wife runs because she makes me run. Um, I did a long run. I was in the east neighborhood of Hochelaga Maisonneuve, which is one of the oldest neighborhoods of Montreal. Um, and in, you, would, you would only know the Hochelaga Maisonneuve neighborhood because if you've been to Montreal, the Olympic Stadium is there. It's a massive, uh, there's a massive structure there that is kind of iconic. And I was there um, at a place called Le Carrefour Par Enfant, which is a community center that works in intervention in the neighborhood. And I was there for my afternoon meetings, and I've been training for a half marathon with my wife, and uh, I needed to do a long run. So I decided that for the first time, I would run from the east end of Montreal all the way through downtown to the far west end, uh, to, well, the far west end of the near neighborhoods, uh, to where we live in LaSalle. It was so fun. I got to see the Olympic Stadium. As I went uh, kind of through the downtown area, I got to see the, the Parc uh, Jean Drapeau, where there's a, an amusement park now, but where some of you from the um, older generations would remember Expo 67 was established at Le Parc Jean Drapeau. By the way, our organization, Christian Direction, was established at Expo 67 as a Christian out, uh, outreach at the World's Fair in Montreal. Um, so got to run through the, the, the other kind of what we call the Vieux-Port um, in Vieux-Montréal and, and go uh, through the southwest neighborhoods. Uh, we got, I walked or ran right through um, along the canal where there's the Farine Five Roses, this old um, museum, or not museums, uh, using, what do you call it, factories um, and breweries and things that are down there. And I made my way 17 kilometers from one side of the town to the other side of the town. And I got to see what is my city. Not the city I was born in, but the city that I belong to as a citizen. And each of you have a city. And so that's kind of the, the container, the theme that I want to use today, is to talk about cities. Now, Chestermere is a little bit smaller than Montreal. But nonetheless, there are elements of your city that are very similar. You have a relationship with your city, your neighborhood, your town, the same way that we have a relationship with our bigger city and that we have a relationship with the particular boroughs of our town. So what is a city? Well, a friend of mine um, and, and my predecessor, Christian Direction, Glenn Smith, uh, he, he said to me once that a city is simply a place where strangers come to live together. Where strangers come to live together. Now think about that. Anyone from the, a rural area in a small town area, you probably know that there are families who, like there's cousins and aunts and uncles, they're all kind of in that area. And if you mention a certain last name, then that, that last name kind of says it all, because you know. But that's not true in a city. A third of our city, or nearly a third of our city, are visible minorities. They didn't come from Montreal. They didn't come from Canada. Uh, a city is a place where strangers come to live together. And... It's, it's nice to have that idea in mind because it's a place where our identity is not immediately linked just to our family or our ethnicity. So when I was thinking about the theme that Preston said the church was working on, moving from being residents to citizens and neighbors, I was asking this question, what does it mean to become a citizen the way I'm a citizen of a city, the, the city of God, or the, the realm of God. I mean, city is built into the word citizen, right? And so for a lot of Christians, I was thinking, okay, what's the relationship that Christians have to the world around them? And I think for a lot of Christians, the, the idea is that they're just trying to maybe escape the city. 
You know, there's parts of our city that people just want to get away from, and so they move out to the suburbs, or they try to move to a better neighborhood. And then there's people who want to come in and make a neighborhood, you know, better. And I just think we're always kind of moving away from stuff in the city, it feels like. And maybe this is true um, even in bedroom communities or in smaller cities or towns. But the idea Christians have is that we're going to try to escape the world around us. Maybe ignore it at best, just kind of do my job, keep my head low, attend church, hang with some Jesus friends, and in the in-between I'm going to put my headphone on and listen to my Christian music to kind of keep me tuned in to this other world so that I can escape that daily rat race world of work and life in the city and evening news with the violence and challenges of our city. But you see, that's an image of distance. And Jesus calls us to belonging. Very simply put, the whole message of Jesus is a message of belonging. Jesus came as God to belong to us in our world. To, and for our world to belong to God in Jesus. And there is this natural nature for us to distance ourselves. It's partly uh, maybe evolved in us that we try to huddle and herd and want to protect ourselves, eliminate risk by finding our people, the people that look like us and talk like us and think like us, is a little bit safer. And then when people maybe don't fit that or when there are people who are sick or could cause too much trouble or too much drag, like Jesus' story of the demoniac, we want to chain them up outside the city and get distance from them. You have an opportunity, go look at that story of Jesus and the demoniac. Very much an image of people trying to distance themselves from the problems of their own humanity. And Jesus breaks that and interrupts that. Jesus is literally God coming into our village and engaging our differences and our weaknesses. We exclude, but Jesus embraces. And I, I brought this quote with me. If you'll go to the next slide. But this quote with me that talks about exclusion and embrace, it's, it was um, written by Miroslav Volf. He says this, Inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. Having been embraced by God's love, we must make space for others in ourselves and embrace and invite them in, even our enemies. And that's kind of the nature of a city, is to say we're willing to invite people who are other than us and come to live with us in one place and space. And so, this is an image of this city that Jesus gave us in the passage that was read earlier. I don't know if you remember it because it was way earlier in the uh, service, but Jesus gives us the story of a mustard seed. And I'll read this passage again just really quickly. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man scatters on the ground and plants in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. Isn't it nice that Jesus, when someone asks him a question, always answers with a story? 
And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like this with my kids. My kids know when I'm about to tell a story. You know, it's like, ask me a question, and I'll say, well, let me tell you a story, you know? And I can imagine that Jesus was kind of an annoying bum like that. You know, he's just constantly, you know, people ask like a really want a specific answer, and then we get this super vague story, right? But stories are, are powerful, and Jesus loves to use them. They're called parables in Scripture. If you hear that word parable, that's what that means. Jesus says God's love for the outsider is like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go look for that one outsider that's lost. In another passage, Jesus tells a story of a disgraced father who embraces a wayward son with rejoicing when he returns home. Or in this passage, Jesus, uh, later in this passage, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that's put into a bread and causes it to rise. And then this particular story this exact story, Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So why parables? Why stories? I like the expression that I heard once. Someone said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. I think Jesus knew that. and He was always connecting with people with stories. And we can do that too because each of you have a story. And I have a story. And we can always connect with others through story. But why is that so good? Well, because... Stories are memorable. That's why they're so useful to communicate information. And they're full of imagery. Stories literally help us see what's being said. And I'm a very visual person, so that works for me. Um, in fact, that's one reason why I find the, the, the Quebecois language so fascinating. Is there anybody who speaks Quebecois or, or French here? So, there's a couple expressions I really like. Uh, in, in French, in Quebec, that, that are very visual. They're very imagé. One is, tire-toi une bûche. Anybody know what tire-toi une bûche is? Pull up a log. So when it's like, when you want to get someone in a conversation or you want to have a sit-down, you say, ah, pull up a log. There's another one that's where people would say, ah, faut qu'on s'attache la tuque. You better hang on to your tuque. So if you know the two is their beanie, you know, you better, it's going to be a ride, so hang on to your beanie. So I love it when the French are, you know, because I'm not a native French speaker. So when I, see that the, when I see what they're saying, it's so much easier. There's another one that says that it's raining so hard that you could literally drink with your mouth open. It's like, it works. We say raining cats and dogs. That doesn't work for me, right? So Jesus tells stories. Let me ask you a question. Who could retell this story? Who remembers the elements of the story? I'm going to ask you. What's the story about? Or what are the parts of the story? Go ahead and throw them out if you know them. Kingdom of heaven is like what? Mustard seed. And? And yeast? What happens with the mustard seed? Grows into a tree. And all the birds come onto it. Okay. Now you guys think you could remember that this week? And think about it every day? All right, Preston can quiz you next Sunday, all right? So we want to start a little bit with the idea of kingdom because Jesus is using this image to talk about kingdom. So let's just talk a couple seconds about kingdom. I think I have a slide for this. What's the word kingdom mean? Well, probably when you think of the word kingdom, immediately come like images of like medieval stuff comes to mind. Even, even it's patriarchal in, its, in, in the language, right? It's a kingdom. It's like we have these images that are hard to break away from. But, you know, the middle evil times hadn't happened when Jesus is talking like this. So what did his hearers think and see when he talked about a kingdom? Well, they certainly knew 
reigns and empires because they lived in an oppressive environment of, of, um, of the Romans. But probably the best way to think about kingdom is, is, the, is to think about the reign, the reign of God or the realm over which God reigns. And then maybe the rule of God. Not the rules particularly, but the rule being like the standard or the measure of God. So that's what we want to hear when we think about the kingdom of God. Another way of looking at it very simply is that in in Scripture, when you're reading through the New Testament, you see either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Think God space. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about God space. And then when when you hear the kingdom of man or the kingdom of earth, Think people, space. So in the angel world, this was really easy because where is people's space? On the ground, right? Where is God's space? Above us, right? So there's this distance above us. And the way that Jesus, I think, is, is, is talking about these two kingdoms side by side is that we're kind of at an in-between these two spaces, if you can think of it through the arc of all of this, the, the, the Christian story, we start in a garden where these two spaces are completely integrated. And then through the fall, they become disintegrated and divorced from one another. And then when Jesus comes as the God-man to come among us and belong in our space, there's a slow reintegration of these two spaces. Now, they're not fully integrated because we're not quite there yet in the fulfillment of time, but there are things of that fulfillment that are lived and experienced in the everyday. Does that make sense to you? So you, that's to say that your week this week is probably f- has been full of some of the disintegrated aspects, some of the earthly things, the hard things. But maybe your week was also filled with some of the God's world as well, some of the goodness, some of the care and compassion and the way that we can help one another and live in belonging with one another. So that's, that's the kind of kingdom that we're talking about when Jesus is talking about kingdom. When this kingdom is emerging, Jesus says, and he uses this image of seed. So what's the main characteristic of this seed? I have a new slide for this too, by the way, Corin. Um, the main characteristic is the seed is what? The seed is small, but the seed is also surprising. The seed is small, but surprising. I was talking with someone recently about a church in the east end of Montreal, and this church is now on, the, on its kind of end of its life cycle. But this, this church, um, at one point, they were a new church plant uh, in the, uh, I think, Mennonite tradition, very uh, hard part of town, and they started a homeless shelter. They opened the, the bottom of their church up because literally homeless people were, were like sleeping on the steps of the church, and they realized this was a big need in their neighborhood, so they said, what would it take for us to bring in the homeless and just open our basement up? So they had a, a seven days a week service. People could come in, sleep uh, up to 30 men, and they could sleep downstairs, and then in the morning they would give them uh, like some coffee and uh, a very easy breakfast, and then they have to leave during the day. Well, this happened also on Saturday nights and Sunday. So on Sunday, their church was literally their congregation plus anyone who wanted to stick around for service who had stayed the night there. 
And this church during the pandemic was asked by the city because they had a good reputation for this. The city came to them and said, do you think that if we gave you uh, an unused gymnasium and maybe another space that you could potentially grow your homeless uh, service of uh, shelter to 300 beds? And they, and they did that. Now, so this, they have a whole organization called Care Montreal. It's an amazing organization that any of us could give to and support that was started out of this little church. So this tiny church with a surprising outcome. And that's what God's kingdom is like. The small but the surprising. Okay? So I, I always think of, 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 of this idea of the small and surprising uh, through a tree that I had in my yard in France. So as Preston said, we lived in France for a number of years. And my wife will recall that we had a very stubborn tree in our backyard. And it was a mimosa tree. And this tree would, would just kind of grow every which way. And sometimes there was a certain time of year that it would, the shoots would grow up out of the ground, okay? And I would fight with this tree like crazy. I was just always cutting and always cutting it. My neighbor came over to me one day and started talking to me, and he goes, you know your problem with this tree? Your problem with this tree is, he said, cet arbre n'est pas d'ici, c'est d'un autre monde entièrement. So this tree, it's not from this world. It's from another world. And I said, well, what do you mean my tree's from another world? It's a tree, you know, I cut it back. He said, no, no, this tree's from another continent. And someone planted it here, and it loves our French sunshine and our French rain and our French, you know, weather. And now it's growing invasively. You're going to have to cut that tree down, you know. And so when I was thinking about that, I thought that's what God's kingdom is like. God's kingdom is, is stubborn. It's invasive. And it's emerging all around us. It starts small, but it's surprising in its impact. And then there's another part of the story that I think is really, really important that someone mentioned, and that is the birds. Okay? So let me ask, is there anybody who's afraid of birds? A couple? <laughs> yeah. My wife had a bird land on her, on her head on a, a jog the other day, and uh, she, it just completely terrified her. Um, so we got to think about these birds. What, what are, the birds are maybe the most important part of the story, surprising. Where do birds come from? The sky. Where does the sky belong? God's space, right? So the birds come down into this kingdom that is being cultivated and growing in an invasive way up, and it creates space in which... God's things from God's space can come down and dwell and make and nest and live and become an ecosystem of self-sustainability. I find that fascinating. But here's another key uh, historical aspect of this that's, that's really helpful. In the Jewish culture, birds, for the most part, were seen as unclean. So they didn't like birds either. <laughs> They don't want birds landing on their head either, okay? They thought they were unclean. So let's think about this. What would his, this mean to his audience? God's kingdom is growing here on earth, and it's giving refuge to things that are unclean. Who were unclean in Jesus' day? The poor, the sick, the naked, the foreigner, the incarcerated. It sounds precisely like Jesus, when he starts his ministry, He's in, a, he's in a synagogue, and he boldly says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. This is what Tom Sign calls in his book uh, about this subject, the mustard seed conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. Why is it a conspiracy? Because it reverses the order of power in what we would normally think is a kingdom. So the kind of reign and rule and realm that we see in the mustard seed conspiracy is very different than the kind of rule and power and authority that we see um, that, is, that, is going, that, that is used in our society. I'll ask you a few questions. If Jesus' image of kingdom, of God's kingdom, was, was about power and authority, why would he have compared it to a balanced micro-ecosystem based on interdependence and community? If Jesus thought God's kingdom would grow by power or authority or resources, why would he have compared it to tiny grains of seed? And if God's kingdom were about just protecting one insider group and keeping others out, why would he have compared it to a bush that shelters unclean birds? You see, Jesus is reversing the way that things work in this world. And so this is a great cultural container. But I'll say that living in this in-between, this God space and our space, is really, really tricky and hard. Have you ever known someone that lives such a holy life that you, or, or a saintly life that you really feel like they're so connected with God like they just must live in this God space. Like everyone's looking at Preston. Preston. No. The, the most holy person that I think I ever knew was my grandmother. And uh, my, my grandma was just completely a saint. She was amazing, uh, wonderful. And everybody respected her as a saint. And I'll tell you a little story about her that I thought of this week when I was thinking about people that I think lived in this this ability, this ability to live in God's space even though their feet were planted here on earth. My grandmother once told me when I was younger that she had, she had never said a curse word in her life except for one time. And she said the time that she did it, she went around to the backside of the barn and she whispered it. And then she ran around, found her father, immediately confessed and got punished for it because she felt so guilty. A couple years ago, just before COVID, I had a chance to go back home to where my family's from in Ohio, and I was sitting with my dad and two of my aunts, and we were talking about my saintly grandmother, and I told that story. My two aunts, they let me get to the end of the story, and they just laughed. They said, Tim, do you really believe that? I said, absolutely. Do you really think that grand grandma only cussed one time in her life? Like... My 40-year-old self was kind of like, yeah, <laughs> you know? She said, oh, she said many, many more cuss words than that. And she said the, the worst of it was usually on Sundays when she was critiquing the pastor's sermon. So I tell this story because I just absolutely love it. It reminds me of my sweet grandmother. But it also reminds me that we live in these two spaces where we're cussing half the time, <laughs> And we're blessing half the other time. It's like, but this is the trick. The trick is this. We think that we have to fight to get into the God kingdom, the God space. But it's actually the opposite. 
we have to release ourselves and free ourselves to live in that space. What we're fighting for is to try to hold on to that power and that autonomy and that self-service, that self-interest. And it has to be a letting go. There was a, a really, um, I'm trying to find it here in my notes. I, I, I saw a really great um, movie recently called Father Stew, and I'll probably butcher the line, but if there's a great movie out called Father Stew about a, a priest who was a fighter turned, like a boxer turned priest, and at one point he said something about the fact that we're not, like, we're not, um, uh, we're not physical bodies trying to live a spiritual life. We're spiritual bodies in a physical container, you know? And I was thinking, like, we're fighting against this, this physical side, this earthly side, but really what it is is we're, we need to release and live into that kingdom. I, I have um, just, don't worry about the last slide, Corinne, because I'm going to close with, um, with this, this quote. There's a, a poet, Denise Levertov, that write and writes about the posture of Jesus. And I think this is a posture that we all have to have in order to live into this world. It's not a posture of fighting. It's a posture of opening and releasing. She says this about Jesus. She said, and particularly Jesus being the Lamb of God. She said, given that lambs are infant sheep, that sheep are afraid and foolish and lack the means of self-protection, having neither rage nor claws, sheep have no venom nor cunning, what then is the Lamb of God? about that. As Christ's people, we live in a, a world that we could be fearful of. We have neither rage nor claws, though. We have no venom nor cunning. We have to live a life of peacemaking, not a life of, of uh, rivalry. Preston and I were talking about making this, this transition and the ways, this is, on, this is on my last slide. If you want to throw it up there, I won't go over all of the content on this slide. But it's, we have to shift our way of seeing and shift from competition, from scarcity to abundance. Moving away from competition for survival and condition, that creates conditions for violence to a place of abundance. And Preston and I were talking about images. Preston, I think this image is the image of potluck. It's coming together for a potluck meal. The other thing we have to shift is we have to shift our way of doing, moving from theory, away from theory to actually practicing. And the image for this is a studio. The body of Christ, the church, has to become a studio of practicing peace and learning from one another and mutual learning. The third is a shift of, of being moving from rivalry to peacemaking. And that is the image of a playground instead of a battlefield. Um, I was talking with um, one member earlier about the rise in violence in Calgary. And I was saying, we've had a huge rise in violence in Montreal over the last couple of years, gun violence, stabbings, domestic violence. And that is this world that we are trying to, we're trying to move away from that, away from that, um, 
rivalry where there's a posture of engaging others and having threat or being a competitor. It's an over and against mentality to a peacemaking mentality that is a with and a for. So it's interesting that the shift has to happen. And if I return back to the, the image of a city at the beginning, talking about running through my city, isn't it interesting that if you were to go to the last pages of Scripture, what's the image? A city. A new Jerusalem. A city of Zion. And what are the characteristics of that city? It's a city of diversity with language and culture and ethnicity. And its, its environment is an environment of prayer and worship. It's a potluck. It's, it's a studio. It's a playground. And that's what our prayer is for this church. And for our community as well, that we could gather people around that. So as you think about this, this passage this week, I pray you'd have those images of city. Think about your city. Think about some of these images. And I just want to take time to pray before Preston comes and gives a benediction. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you know that it is better for us to be among difference. Because everyone who is different from us is like. And we can encounter you through encountering them. Thank you that your world is growing in an invasive way. It is through the small and seemingly insignificant things that your world is surprisingly growing around us. Would you bless these people, my friends? Would you bless their leadership in a time of transition? Would you also do surprising from small things in their midst? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please. Um, thank you. I'm going to invite Ed up. Ed is going to lead us in, uh, in uh, one, one last song here. Uh, thank you. Uh, Tim and I, you are a gift to us and to our community. I think if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, I'm starting to say this more and, and, and more, but you should find some people who are living it out <laughs> and just watch their lives. And bit by bit, you will see how the kingdom of God looks. And I sure hope that you have a handful of people. But if you don't, if you have a very short list, uh, look at Tim and I and watch how they're living their lives. Because I think it's a picture of what it is to, to offer up a small seed and say, what can you grow here? And God is uh, growing. So please stand with me as I offer the benediction and we close in, in one song. Friends, kingdom of God is sprouting. <laughs> it's small and it's good. And it's happening here right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship and may you have a really good week.